We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. I want to first start with just uh, a brief note on our second reading today, and then I want to talk today about just a major theme in the Gospels that we're, we're going to dive into. Our second reading is one that's oftentimes uh, kind of a memorization verse for a lot of Christians. So it's 2 Timothy 3.16. It was part of our second reading, right? And it says, all scripture is inspired by God, right? And is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I actually misquoted it a little bit. You knew that, right? But anyway, that's, it's, it's a really popular verse to memorize, and I want to give you just two points on that really briefly. Sometimes people will use this scripture verse to say, you see, it's just the Bible alone. And Catholics, you guys don't get it because right there, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it's just the Bible. The problem is it doesn't say that. That verse just does not say that. What 2 Timothy 3.16 says is scripture is really, really, really good. Agreed, right? And so someone quotes that to you and they say, look, 2 Timothy 3.16, what you should say is we agree. We love scripture. It's a really good thing. It is good for us. It helps us to be complete. And so you, you need to know that. You'd be able to say, yeah, that verse just isn't about the scripture versus tradition. That's not what it's about. All it says is scripture is good. The second point is this, is let me beat you over the head as your pastor. Do you ever read scripture? This means yes. This means no. Right? And if you don't want to answer, stare at the floor and I'll judge you in my heart. Right? Life, we have so many things, and I know your life's full. I know that. I know your life's full. But so many of us, what we do is we spend a lot of time on things that just aren't as important. And brothers and sisters, somehow in your life, you need to have room for the Word of God. It's not easy. It is valuable. Hugely valuable. And you, right, God has given you this tremendous gift in the scriptures. We have in the Catholic Church right now better tools to learn scripture and to learn your faith than there have ever been in the history of the world. Ever. It is easier today than, than it ever has been. And so I want to challenge you on that. I know you love, I don't even know what's on TV now, right? Like Beverly Hills 90210, right? Like... I, I don't know. One time I said, I was talking about TV, and I, like, said Dawson's Creek, and I never lived that down. People were like, like, FB, that was, like, 1993. I'm like, that was a great year, you know? <laughs> Whatever you're watching, I'm sure it's good. It's not bad. Do you have room for the Word of God? The best place to start, if you don't have a big background in it, I would encourage you to read one of the four Gospels. Right now, we're reading the Gospel of Luke at Mass, and in Luke's Gospel, there's 24 chapters. If you read it from start to finish, it would take you about a half an hour. That's it. 
Okay, you are sufficiently rebuked. When I was a focused missionary, I want to start with this today. Today what I want you to think about is prayer. Our first reading today is that Moses praying and Christ encourages us that we're to pray always. And I just want, to, want you to think about this. When I was a focused missionary, my first year out of college, I went to Montana and I had a really hard year. It was a very difficult year for me. And today, we're going to talk about this experience that so many of us have where we've, we pray to God and we pray again and again and again and we say, Jesus, why are you not answering my prayer? Right? Why haven't you heard what I'm asking? And when I was in Montana, it was a tough year. And we, went, we were up there and we had four focused missionaries and it was much more difficult than I expected. And so we were reaching out to college kids, and it was, they just weren't receptive. The faculty at the, at the college we were at, for some reason, they did not like us. And that was hard for me. It was hard to, to, to deal with. And then lastly, my team, we had four team members, and we just we had a lot of internal kind of strife. And I remember praying to God constantly. And I was like, Lord, I'm asking for good things. Where are you? And you've probably had that experience. You have people in your life where you say, you know, my spouse is really suffering. Or my, uh, I don't know, my niece, my daughter, my son, someone I love in my life, they're suffering. Lord, will you hear my prayer? We're supposed to pray always. Where are you? Why aren't you answering? We've all had that experience. And here's what I want you to see today. Today we're going to talk about the, this parable. There's a parable in Luke 18 about the unrighteous judge. If I can find it. I had it marked. There it is. Luke 18, Jesus says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded men. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Vindicate me against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her, or she will wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God vindicate his elect, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The parable is about praying always. And here's what I want you to see. That year when I was in Montana, I, was pr I wasn't praying for bad things. I wasn't praying for selfish things. I wasn't on my knees saying, God, like, I don't know, where is my new car? I was praying for things that mattered. But it seemed like they weren't being answered. And this parable today, what I want you to see, last week we had the ten lepers. This week we, we hear about this unrighteous judge in between the two. 
was Jesus' treatment about when he's going to come in judgment. And so the context of this parable about praying always is not about us praying for just anything. And what I want to challenge you on today is that you, and what this parable is about, is that Christians pray for God's kingdom to come. It's not bad to pray for other things. But do you pray for God's kingdom to break into this world? Do you pray for Christ to come in judgment? Now, for most of us, that's kind of a scary thing. Right? And we've, we talk about this sometimes here at Lord's, is that, Jesus, I can be scared of judgment. Because I know that I'm not who I should be yet. And I know there are sins in my life that, that I'm scared to, to hand over to you. I want to read you one psalm this morning. This is Psalm 96. We won't do the whole one. But Psalm 96 is a, is a psalm about judgment. It's about when God comes. And that's what that parable is about. The parable is about Jesus coming back in glory to judge the earth. Psalm 96, part of it says this. Now, if you had to write a song, right? The Psalms are like the, the hymnal of Israel. If you had to write a song about the final judgment, it probably wouldn't be like a real happy song, right? You'd be kind of like, I don't know what you would sing. Take that, you sinner, right? You wronged me in I-25. You cut me off. May God smite you. I don't know. Here's what the psalmist says. He says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. I wouldn't start that way if I was going to write a song about the judgment of the world. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and everything that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in the fields. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Why would the forest sing for joy? Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with his righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to get today. You and I should be men and women who pray for the judgment of God to break into this world. We should be praying for that constantly. And then in that parable of the unrighteous judge, the widow is, is asking for a judgment. She's crying out to the judge and she's saying, Give me a righteous judgment against my adversary. So God isn't telling us pray for anything. He's saying pray that God will bring a just judgment. And do it constantly. And I want to challenge you today and myself as well, three areas that we should be praying for this. The Jews knew that when God comes to judge the world, that that would be a day of joy. Because judgment, brothers and sisters, means that God is going to make things as they should be. That's what judgment is about. 
Don't you want that to happen? Right? Don't you want a world where things are as they should be? The first place that you and I should be crying out to God for judgment is in our own lives. That's the first one. The world tells us, right, that a good life is predominantly about what happens to you. It's about the things you own. It's about how life goes, right? As I always say, it's about which lane you chose on I-25 and if that lane goes right, right? I don't think God really wants us to be on I-25 going, Lord, give me that lane. Like, please move, would you part I-25? You know, I don't, that's fine, but that's not what God's talking about here. The world says that, that life is about that. What the gospel tells us is that happiness is not about what happens to you. Happiness is about who you are. And so the first place that I want Jesus Christ to come in judgment is in my soul. Because when he comes in judgment over my soul, the things that do not belong there are cast out. And I'm a little scared about that. I'm a little scared that there's parts of my soul that aren't what they should be. You know what I want? I want them to be made right. Here's what St. Ambrose says about this. He says, That man is rightly called a king who makes his own body an obedient subject, and by governing himself with suitable rigor, refuses to let his passions breed rebellion in his soul. I want to serve God. I, Lord, I do love you. I want to be a good priest. I want to be a good Christian. I want to love you above all things, and I want to love my neighbor as myself. But I also have these things called passions, right? I have my lust and my pride. I have my envies and my jealousies. I have my hatreds. And those things rebel against the law of God and the reign of God in my soul. And so within me is that first place. When we, when we pray, brothers and sisters, we say, thy kingdom come. The first place that God's kingdom needs to come is in each of our souls. One last origin says this on this point. One last quote on this point. Origin says, within you is the battle you are to fight. The evil structure which must be torn down is within. Your enemy comes from your own heart. We spend so much time criticizing other people. We spend so much time critiquing the world. The first place the kingdom of God and the judgment of God should reign is within, within each one of us. And that'll be a great day. It'll be a wonderful day when the sin in my soul is cast out and is the judgment of Jesus Christ comes upon it and it is cast out. And I long for that day. The second one is this. The second place we need to pray day and night, like that widow. Day and night we need to pray to God for his kingdom to come is in the church. 
And this is really poignant right now in our lives. We are still in a, a, a scandal-ridden time. Here's what St. Peter says about this. St. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 17, he says, the time has come for judgment, and it is to begin with the household of God. Think about this. The church is Christ's body in the world. And brothers and sisters, judgment is a good thing, right? Judgment is a good thing. Judgment makes things as it should be. The church of God is called to be holy, pure, and a light to the world. And we cannot do that if we don't clean up our house. We can't do it. I hear stories about churches where priests teach against the teachings of Jesus Christ. And they say, you don't have to believe what Jesus says here. You don't have to believe that marriage is one man and one woman. You don't have to be pro-life. You don't have to believe the Eucharist is the true presence of Jesus. That must be cast out. It has no place in the church of God. And the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus Christ, needs to break into our church and to judge the things that do not belong there. And that's painful, but I sure hope it happens. And I hope it happens quickly. This month, we're supposed to have the report from the Attorney General on the abuse of the church in Denver. And that's kind of scary. It's scary for me as a priest, right? Because I know how it'll be portrayed in the media. And I know when I go out and my collar at Starbucks, people are going to judge me for something a priest did 60 years ago. And I'm so happy it's coming. Because we will never be who we should be until we name the sin that has been in the church and it is cast out. I am so glad that that report is coming. We need to know the whole truth about it. We need to get in all the right context. But sin and evil thrive in the world when they remain hidden. So that second place, right, the second place that judgment needs to come is in the church. And we're all going to be better off because of it. When sin has no more place here, when there's no corner where evil can hide in God's church, that will be a day, right, when the church will rejoice, the trees of the forest will sing for joy. The third place is the world. You and I are called to be holy brothers and sisters because we love God, but the church exists for the world. We exist as a church to bring everyone to the salvation that happened in the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why we exist. And once we're cleansed, right, when that purification happens, we can bring that good news to the world. Again, back to, to 1 Peter 4. The time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, 
What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous man is scarcely saved, where will the impious and the sinner appear? Therefore, and listen to this, I love this line. Let those who suffer according to God's will do right and entrust their souls to a faithful creator. When I was in Montana, it was a hard year. It probably wasn't really that hard, but it felt like it when I was 22. You know, when you're 22, everything seems really hard. Sorry if you're 22, right? But I'm sorry, your life's not hard. But it feels like it, and it felt hard, and I was like, God, where are you? And that year, God humbled me. Because I, as I look back now, I didn't know it then, but as I look back now, I was an arrogant punk. And I know those of you who knew me are like, mm -hmm. yes, you were. And some of you are like, still there. <laughs> but I was, I was an arrogant punk, and I was praying for good things. But you know what God wanted to do? He wanted to humble me so that I would become who I'm supposed to become. That year was the year I received my vocation to the priesthood. And I needed to be humbled. Let those who suffer according to God's will do right and entrust their souls to a faithful creator. What do you pray for? I know you pray for good things. Do you pray for God's kingdom to break into this world? To break into your soul? That it might cast judgment on your sins and drive out the evil? Do you pray for God's kingdom to break into the church? That the church might be cleansed as the body of Christ and be a light to the nations? And do you pray for the world that God's kingdom, God's judgment would break in and it would save those in darkness. That's more important than your mortgage. It's more important than how well your kids' relationships are going. It's more important even than sicknesses in our lives. And we should cry out day and night to God for his judgment to come. N.T. Wright finally this morning, N.T. Wright says this, he says, we have rediscovered what the psalmists knew. That for God to judge the world meant that he would, in the end, put it all to rights. Straighten it out. Don't you want God to do that? Lord, when your kingdom comes, I will become the man I was created to be. Your church will be purified of anyone who speaks against you. The sin and the scandal will be driven out of the church, and it will truly be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And Lord, your kingdom will make our world what it should be. Right? We should be horrified at things happening in the world. Like I told the last Mass, I got an email this week, and I've gotten it before, about the amount of child abduction and s sexual slavery of children in the state of Colorado. Are you horrified by that? I hope you are. 
right? The 110 of you who joined me at Planned Parenthood this week, and we prayed for the destruction of abortion in our culture and for the triumph of hope and life in all of those around us. Right? Are you horrified by evil? Jesus, thy kingdom come. May you cast judgment on all the lies in our culture. The things may be as they should be. God judging the world means he would, in the end, put it all to right, straighten it out. And when that happens, when the world becomes what it should be in God, right, what happens? It produces not just a sigh of relief, but shouting for joy from the trees and the fields the seas and the floods. Lord Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done.